Welcome to our podcast series, Five Questions, Five Answers, in which we explore recent U.S. trade policies and U.S. trade rules that can affect thousands of companies. We have a goal in mind to help you, the listener, translate the legal into real-world business strategies. My name is Bridget Matisson. I'm the Director of North American Manufacturing here at Aaron Fox Schiff in Washington, D.C. I get the easy part. I get to ask the questions and I get to choose the colleague or the guest I know will have the right answers for you. So in the next few minutes, I will ask five questions that reflect the concerns we've been hearing from business leaders, all who want to understand the rules, but they also need to mitigate their business risk while increasing their bottom line. So let's start. Dr. Austin Brown is our guest for this morning's podcast. Dr. Brown is the Office Director at the U.S. Department of Energy Vehicle Technologies Office. Who better to have as a guest on our Electric Mobility Practice Five Questions, Five Answers podcast? Uh, What does Dr. Brown do at DOE? Well, listen to this. He uh, leads initiatives and programs that help reduce America's dependence on foreign oil and secure a clean energy future. That's right off his website. It's no surprise to anyone. It is certainly the administration's goal. The office itself, however, supports research for hybrid drivetrains, advanced batteries, lightweight materials, advanced combustion and fuels, vehicle systems integration, and clean cities deployment activities, all industries and products made and produced by many of our podcast listeners. He's an expert in clean energy. I don't usually read our guests' full bios. This one, however, is pretty impressive. So give me a moment while I read his bio to you. Um, he most recently served as a senior director for transportation emissions in the White House White House Office of Domestic Climate Policy. His previous roles before that was executive director of UC Davis Policy Institute for Energy, Environment and Economy. The then was assistant director for clean energy and transportation for the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy and led a, a, a project for the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. Dr. Brown has also held adjunct faculty positions at UC Davis and John Hopkins University, and he previously served as an American Association for the Advancement of Science fellow with DOE's Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy. That is a biography and a professional credentials that um, is very impressive. And for our listeners and for the reasons why we have these podcasts, I cannot express uh, uh, enough our deep appreciation, Dr. Brown, for the time you're taking with us today. I'm delighted to have you. And uh, um, I... Uh, I think this conversation is going to be quite interesting. So welcome, Dr. Brown. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's really a pleasure to be here talking about uh, electric mobility and innovation, which may be my two favorite things to talk about in the world. So really, really glad to be here. <laughs> you are joined by many. Yes, absolutely. Um, so Dr. Brown, the White House has made quite 
quite clear its support for the electric mobility sector um, and its supply chain, its procurement, its uh, customer base, its market here in the U.S. and abroad. And it's been hailed uh, by many in the industry, frankly, as a game changer. Uh, what, in your view, as the director of your office, um, are the most important initiatives from Washington that uh, spurs the development of clean energy technology, but particularly in the manufacturing of clean vehicles? It's um, it's it's very hard for me to narrow it down to just a few things. Um, and actually, before <laughs> I jump in, uh, let me clarify that um, a lot of what I'm about to talk about is uh, led out of other offices other than the vehicle technologies office, uh, but where we're a partner. Um, and mm -hmm. I'll just use this to give a plug for the truly excellent federal team working across multiple agencies, across many different offices that are really um, of, you know, breaking down silos and locking arms around this topic to say, we're only going to get to where we need to be on um, domestic manufacturing and electric vehicle deployment if we really think um, as a, an administration. Um, so we used a combined strategy of everything from the basic science to applied R&D in advanced vehicle technologies, um, then supporting early demonstration and deployment projects to prove them out, and then now a really increased and grow, um, rapidly growing array of supporting deployment programs and supporting policy that are helping those vehicles enter the mass market where they can um, then offer huge benefits to uh, people and communities. Um, so we have this uh, this whole pipeline of thinking around electrical vehicle technologies and zero emission transportation overall um, that we as the vehicle technologies office are just a piece of. Um, so the Department of Energy has a variety of grant and loan programs. And within that, our role at the vehicle technologies office is as that bridge for applied research and development to bring technologies that are um, exciting and promising coming out of the lab and get them to the point where they're market ready. So it's this sweet spot of pre-competitive work where a little bit of an investment um, can bring something that had previously just been somebody's experiment with exciting results and turn it into something that you can actually go out and buy, install in a vehicle um, or use to reduce emissions um, on the road. Um, with that said, I'll go through a couple of really exciting things I think are going on um, that make this the probably the most exciting time ever to work on clean transportation. Um, uh, so the first one is that we have a new array of incentives for clean vehicles that we just haven't had before. Um, the Inflation Reduction Act in particular uh, created, extended, and modified an array of, of incentives that make it possible and affordable, and in many cases, the lowest overall cost option for individuals and businesses to go out and buy electric vehicles. And that's just an incredibly exciting new thing. Um, those incentives also are helping catalyze investment domestically and in a secure supply chain because of how they're set up, where those investments are some of those incentives are tied to um, the idea that we have that domestic supply chain or that friendly supply chain for the minerals that, that are coming from. But that bedrock of, it, of, of incentives for both uh, vehicles and chargers and clean fuels means that businesses now see that policy signal and know, okay, there's going to be an exciting market here. And individual consumers and businesses see that market signal and say, okay, this is now going to be an affordable option um, for me or for my business. And that, that's, I think, really exciting. 
those incentives then go into a market that's being facilitated with new grant programs that provide first-of-kind dollars for you know, multi-billion dollar deployments for clean buses, both transit buses and school buses, for electric port equipment and zero-emission port equipment, and all kinds of new applications that we haven't seen a big market for. So there's that new, um, new market creation coming through many of those deployment investments. Um, we also see manufacturing investments for the first time. The one I'm most excited about right now is $2 billion for conversion grants to take manufacturing facilities and help them make that step to produce zero-emission vehicle technologies. We have a, a, an amazing um, uh, vehicle industry in the United States, both the vehicles themselves and the parts and the suppliers, and we're committed as an administration to making this a transition that onshores creates jobs and doubles down on that production and the investment in workers in the automotive supply chain. And that's one really exciting tool that we have to do with it. Um, and then the last one I'll mention, we're now thinking beyond just the individual um, vehicles on the road and trying to think about decarbonization of transportation overall. And the big best place to see this is through our administration transportation decarbonization blueprint, which was published by four agencies early last year and laid out a framework where we can think about not just uh, going to zero emission for cars and personal vehicles, but also thinking in trucks, in freight, in rail and maritime, in aviation, and really the whole suite of transportation opportunities to go out and build and invest in clean transportation technologies um, here and get to that zero emission future that we know um, offers these incredible benefits down in the future. You know, um, every customer, every client, um, every business leader we meet uh, as we are on the road or they call us, um, they almost to a person will say, these have been extremely exciting times over the last two years. I couldn't agree more. Um, in your view, what, uh, what can these people and these companies expect in the next two years? I couldn't agree more on the on the level of excitement around this stuff. It's, it's truly an opportunity to get to work on it at this time, and um, there's never been a more exciting group of people working on it. Um, I think the biggest underline we're going to see in the next two years is um, the uh, additional investments that are we're starting to see enter the market from the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and Inflation Reduction Act really get to scale. We have to remember that by the nature of these programs – um, it, in many cases, it takes a year or more for the dollars to really start to hit the street. So we can look at the National um, Electric Vehicle um, Infrastructure Program, or NEVI, which has been deploying um, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars via the states to create um, high-speed electric char vehicle charging stations across our national highway network. Um, that money is moving, and states are making those investments, but we're only now because of how long it takes for that process to work, seeing those stations really start to open up. So that that means is that 2024, we're going to see this incredible growth of these high power, high reliability stations across the country, just at the time that it's like, when people have said, oh, you know, what is what has been happening with, you know, with this money, we're going to start to see those stations open up. We've already seen a few very exciting ones um, start to, to, to enter service. And we're going to see that not just for EV chargers, but for all of the different kinds of programs programs like school buses, like zero emission ports, like heavy duty vehicles, where we, the dollars are going, but it, there's a little bit of a, a delay time for that money to hit mm -hmm. the street and actually enter into the market. Um, I also think we're going to see 
Um, a lot of the success we've seen in the light duty vehicle market of the last few years with sales growing from 2% just in just 2020 and 2021 to almost 10% today, um, we're going to see a lot of that reflected and amplified in the heavy duty market. So heavy duty vehicles are right now a little bit behind light duty in terms of their um, potential for electrification because it's a bigger vehicle. It needs more energy and more power. But once that's demonstrated to work and the depot and over-the-road charging solutions are demonstrated, which we're hard at work at, um, the total cost of ownership of these vehicles, we expect to be quite a bit lower. And that means that businesses that run the heavy-duty vehicles, um, they're going to go and see that opportunity in terms of uh, lower total cost of ownership and, and, and react to that. And we know that businesses are very sensitive to their energy costs because it's a major operating cost. And once that use case of um, of that reduced cost and reduced emissions together is proven out, we expect to see a really significant increase in investment and a, a sort of a fast follower coming from the heavy-duty space. Um, I also just want to give um, a little bit of emphasis to what we're going to see in uh, scaling of deployment, not just from federal investments, but from all of the levels of government and community starting to be able to make these investments. In the Vehicle Technologies Office, we have something called the Clean Cities Coalition, which is 75 coalitions that cover more than 80% of, um, of people in the United States looking at partnerships and opportunities to invest in cleaner transportation and zero emission transportation. And there's never been more excitement from these coalitions about what they can do with their fleets, with their communities to shift to zero emission vehicles. And that's that kind of um, scale up potential that we think we'll see. It's one thing if we make you know, a big investment as a federal government, but it really becomes transformational when that investment is matched and increased at the state level, at the community level, and at the individual level. And that's, I think, what we're ready to see um, from our Clean Cities Coalitions and, and other local and regional partners. You had mentioned um, in your earlier remarks um, the need for a secure supply chain. It, that is a phrase and a term we often see in proposed rulemaking and, and other outlets. Uh, the electric vehicle sector, however, we main somewhat reliant on a global supply chain. They need to import into the U.S. a number of components and assemblies and raw materials, etc. Um, in your view, is, is that the most significant hurdle to achieving a sustainable and, frankly, competitive U.S. manufacturing sector, whether it be from uh, a battery raw materials or the finished vehicle? Yeah, I think in many ways we are playing from behind in terms of the EV supply chain. I don't think that's a controversial statement. We've seen that others, other countries and other actors have made investments to try to bring those critical pieces of a supply chain that they recognized as um, the future of not just transportation, but when we're talking about things like batteries, the future of our energy system. And those investments um, have in many cases led to a lot of regionalization of not just the battery production itself, 
but the upstream mineral processing, processing of minerals into compo- into battery components, and then com- combination of those components into cells, modules, and packs, and a real coalescence of that supply chain. The good news is we now are making those investments to not just come from behind, but I believe lead as we um, are able to um, onshore more and more of that. We've seen um, literally more than $100 billion of investment in the in um, domestic manufacturing of cells, components, and in minerals and mineral processing. And we think that's going to continue to accelerate, especially as the incentives provide that further um, rationale beyond the direct investments for companies to want to continue to onshore their supply chains. When we also when we talk to the automakers, they now realize how a um, you know global supply chain will offer always offer benefits, but that they need to really understand the security and the um, resilience of their supply chain and make sure that they're taking that into account when planning it. They can't just buy minerals or just buy battery components anymore. They need to understand where they come from, how they have assurance into their reliability and that they'll be able to source those um, source those minerals and components um, and that they need to be able to track that. And that that's all going to lead to us, I think, playing fast follower and um, catching up and exceeding where we are, where we think we're, you know, in the next decade going to easily have enough battery capacity to supply as many um, as many electric vehicles as we could want in the United States. So, yes, I think it is a, a, the big, a big hurdle, but it's just that it's a hurdle to jump over. Um, it takes time to align global supply chains. We're seeing every automaker really working incredibly hard to figure out how to align those supply chains, how to track them before. Um, there's plenty of battery minerals in the world and we can source them sustainably. We just haven't had that ambitious policy environment and the attention, that laser focus to getting that um, to getting that there. So there, there's, there's a lot of work going on to make sure to align those um, supply chains and I have high confidence that we'll be able to do it. That doesn't mean I don't think it'll be, as you said, a, a hurdle to get there. Um, the other hurdle that we're really focused on is making sure that electric vehicles are a great experience for new drivers. Um, EVs offer many benefits that uh, people who've never driven one don't necessarily anticipate. They have they have, tend to have a, a faster response time to when you push the pedal. Um, and the one that uh, most EV drivers I talk to really reflect on is that they'll say, wait a minute, uh, I've owned my EV for two years and I haven't been to the gas station in two years, right? Because they're able to charge at home or at work um, or other places. So they find that, that in fact, even, even owners of plug-in hybrid vehicles can find, oh my gosh, I'm just realizing I'm, I'm not spending any time going to the gas station. So there's lots of advantages but there are some differences in terms of how you plan it. You mentioned we talked a little bit earlier about the infrastructure needs, making sure that there's a seamless, reliable um, opportunity to charge anywhere that people are. That's still something that's that's a work in progress, but but going very fast. So we have as a, as a community working on electric trans- transportation, I think a need to make sure that we provide an excellent experience that EV drivers know what to expect and that they're able to experience those benefits. Um, while the the uh, challenges of of any sort of change from the vehicle they're used to um, are are minimized, it certainly can be done. But you also talk to a few people who've had a few bad charging experiences, and you know that it can go wrong as well. So we have, I think, more to do there. You had mentioned um, the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act, a uh, statute very near and dear to uh, almost uh, every one of our listeners. 
and the companies we speak with. Uh, first of all, congratulations on the statute. The um, the statute, the Inflation Reduction Act, um, uh, is being implemented. There are proposed rules and draft rules out. They're going to be on our website. Um, but uh, do you have any sense of when your colleagues at U.S. Treasury, IRS, will be issuing final regulations? Is that a fair question to ask you at DOE? <laughs> Um, I, I can't speak to timing. I'll say that we're obviously working very closely with our colleagues at Treasury on any of their needs in terms of technical information. That's our role at Department of Energy is to make sure that the latest in technical information is is there for them whenever they need it. Um, we also have a role in terms of sharing information with what vehicles are eligible and how to understand mm-hmm. if your model or, or specific vehicle is eligible for a different tax credit. Um, but I, I can't comment on the um, on on timing of anything that's 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 run out of that office. Um, I can say that the pace of what we've seen in response to the Inflation Reduction Act has just astonished even even those of us who worked on some of the proposals um, that that went into that uh, into that proposal. I mean, the pace of investment. And investment announcements has been so fast, we had to build a tracker at the Department of Energy just to um, collect and show when there was a new multi-billion dollar investment in vehicles or or batteries or chargers going in in the United States. You know, we didn't have a single manufacturer of uh, EV um, of of high high speed EV chargers before that. Now there's multiple more than ten of them um, actively producing high speed chargers in the United States. So that's the creation of an industry in the U.S. Um, in response and really over uh, over record time. Um, we have a, a publication that I could point folks to that looked at the Inflation Reduction Act in its first year um, and found that already we had created 75,000 new jobs in the battery supply chain um, with uh, over 80 new or expanded uh, electric vehicle component and assembly plants. So we're just seeing this reshoring of the the transportation sector um, with with batteries and making that a reality um, at, you know before our very eyes, which is which is something that we haven't seen very many times in my lifetime at least. For listeners who uh, may not know um, or uh, may be outside the United States, is there a website or how does a company or an executive contact your office to keep abreast of these exciting developments, both uh, in the funding world and policy world? Absolutely. Um, So our website for the Vehicle Technologies Office, you can reach, you can just Google Energy Vehicle Technologies Office or whatever search engine you prefer, um, or you can go to www.energy.gov slash EERE slash vehicles slash vehicle dash technologies dash office. But uh, maybe the search bar will make that a little bit easier. Um, you can also, for any media or communications inquiry, uh, reach out to the, the Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy Media at ee.media at ee.doe.gov, and we'd be very happy to um, to, to uh, share more. On the website, you can see all of our funding opportunities as they come out, um, all of the opportunities to partner. You can find out more information on our Clean Cities coalitions and other ways to get involved with um, with our efforts at, uh, at any scale and any level. So, um, yeah, lots, lots of great stuff there for you to check out. And also for our listeners, uh, speaking of a hectic last two years um, and probably just as hectic next two years, hectic being exciting, um, I wanted to point out, and these will be on our Aaron Fox Schiff Electric Mobility website, at the end of um, last year, um, actually all three in December, 
no, one was in November, two in December. The administration agencies have published notices in the U.S. Federal Register. If you're a listener from Canada, that would be the Canadian, the U.S. version of Canada Gazette. But anyways, um, very important notices of proposed rulemaking and definitions that they will use to A, from the International Trade Commission to review the USMCA automotive rules of origin that would include electric vehicles. Um, in on December four, the Department of Energy, the Office of Manufacturing Energy Supply Chain issued an extremely important notice. It's called an interpretation of foreign entity of concern that applies to the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. And then uh, the Department of Treasury, IRS. Um, notice of proposed rulemaking on the same day, December 4th, on what is an excluded entity uh, under Section 30D of the IRA. And that is all about secure supply chains and country of origin and what is a substantial transformation and, uh, and other key concepts that they are looking at before final rules are being published. These notices I've just referred to will be on the Aaron Fox Schiff Electric Mobility website. Uh, if they are not on already, they will soon be. The comment periods are uh, are different, but they're you know early to mid 2024. And also stay tuned uh, in the next few days. Um, our Electric Mobility Practice Group will be issuing our annual look ahead for the electric vehicle in terms of U.S. trade regulation and U.S. trade policy. Dr. Brown, thank you so much. Um, the podcasts are entitled Five Questions, Five Answers. I will tell you, I probably had 15 more questions that I wanted to ask you, but I'm glad that you've given us a contact info for for your office. I can only wish you and your entire team a very successful 2024. Um, we and our industry stakeholders will be watching, and um, uh, we look forward to possibly another podcast with you at the end of the year. Wonderful. Happy New Year uh, to you, all your listeners, and um, thanks so much for having me. We we know we have a ton to get done uh, this year, but we have exactly the right team and exactly the right attitude to do it. So couldn't be more excited to go get back to work. I could hear it in your voice, Dr. Brown. Thank you very, very much.